0: Today's scripture, also in your um, hack bulletin, comes from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 through 18. You can look at the screen above or follow along, along with me in your devices. So Abraham went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock in silver and gold from Negev he went from place to place until he came he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar there Abraham called on the name of the Lord Now Lot who was moving about with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zol was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the And pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you will see, I will give to you and your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offsprings could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mount and Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of God. That was a long one. I chose it for myself, so I have no one else to blame. But I love that story of Abraham and Lot parting ways. In this story, what we see is two close relatives. Abraham and Sarah, up to this point, are still barren. They don't have any children. And as they're traveling to the promised land that God gave him, Abraham. He's like, get to the land of Canaan. There is the uh, land of milk and honey. And I will take care of your offspring forever. And on their way, this happened. And Lot, uh, his nephew, and him part ways. There are a few times in the Bible when God commands and encourages people to go to Egypt. You know, it's interesting because most of the time in the Bible, Egypt is not a place that you want to get to. And God says, get away from Egypt. Move away from Egypt. But there are a few exceptions, especially three that come to mind in Old Testament. First is Moses. After he fled the country, due to his sin, killing an uh, Egyptian soldier, he flees his hometown where he grew up in Egypt. right? And then God speaks to Moses, you must go back to Egypt to bring the Israelites out of slavery. God also speaks to Jacob after he hears that his lost son Joseph is alive and well in Egypt. God says in Genesis 43, 46-3, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. He speaks to Jacob. And last but not least, God speaks to Joseph, father figure to Jesus, husband of Mary. Escaping to Egypt when danger came his way, God speaks to him in Matthew 2, 13. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. For the most part in the Bible, however, God usually tells his people, to get away from Egypt as far as possible. Because most times people relied on Egypt and human resources it provided rather than God. Not that Egypt was just an evil place by itself, right, in its roots, but it's that people who gather in Egypt, um, what we see Egypt symbolizes a place, a city, uh, a nation where people gather who depended on themselves rather than God who started idolizing more uh, uh, idols instead of worshiping God. So this dilemma Abram faces in chapter in his life is this. Do I go to Egypt or do I go to Canaan where God promised everything for me? So previously, Abraham had heard the call of the God, said, this is a promised land. You go to Canaan. And on his way, just think about it. If you're Abraham Sarah, you are migrating with all this possession. Great wealth that God has given him. He takes his nephew, Lot, with them, And imagine his heart and his thought. He's probably thinking, man, I can't wait till I get there. Because when I get there, something amazing is going to happen. Something so great is going to happen that I don't know about what God has prepared me. So he's going with this huge expectation, this heart of joyfulness and hope. But when he gets there, what we find out, what Abraham surprisingly finds out is there's famine in the land. It's not the land of milk and honey as they expected. People are starving. People have nothing to eat. So he gets the Canaan with this hopefulness and expectation, yet it crashes for him. So imagine if you were him. How would you feel? It's understandable that at this point Abraham actually turns around and takes his entire family and Lot's family and heads towards Egypt. He makes a detour. He gets there, he sees what's happening, and he turns around and quickly heads towards Egypt. Now it's easy for us to read the scripture because we know how it ends and say, oh man, he's so stupid. Why would he do that? God promised there. Stay there. You got there. Just wait and out, be patient. But the reality is, let's look into our lives. If you were Abraham, would you be able to get to the promised land, wherever that is? Certain occupations, certain townships, certain states, certain country? you get there and God said, when you get there, I will give you everything that you desire. You heard his voice loud and clear. And when you get there, it's the exact opposite. It's a land of famine. People are hungry. There are no jobs. Our children are not going to have great education. Right? We're worried about our daily life. So it's very reasonable, actually, in this state of mind, that Abraham turns around and goes to Egypt. But by... By doing so, by taking the detour to Egypt, uh, Abraham is thinking about a few things. And for us, I think it's, for me at least, it's very reasonable why Abraham turned around and went to Egypt and not listened to God. One, there was no home in Canaan for him. He got there, it's not like he owns land. So he can't just build and, and really call it a home. He was wandering around even in this land of Canaan for a little bit. Secondly, there are Canaanites. And we, we find out they're parasites. And they're the enemies of Israelites who are not God-fearing and who worship idols. So you're going into a land where there are people who don't like your kind. okay? Racism. Right? They're spiritually, you're not on the same, same pace. And then thirdly, Abraham's wife Sarah is still barren. Not pregnant. When he gets there, God's been promising him for years. When you get to that promised land, Sarah will become pregnant and you will have a child. Not even just one. You will have offsprings. Look at the stars. That's how many the offsprings are going to be. And yet, he gets there and Sarah is still barren. And last but not least, once again, there is famine in the land. So who, in their logical mind, would actually stay put in this land? My guess, I know for sure I would have done the same thing Abraham did. And my guess would be that many, if not all of us in here would have made the same move. A very reasonable move. reasonable move. Especially for Abraham to make as a leader of the family. So hence the Egypt detour. And sometimes this is what we experience and feel. I obey God. I listen to God. God told me to go here, do this, do that but it seems like nothing's really working out. I'm in more discomfort. My life isn't more comfortable or easy because I'm where God told me to go. This job that God gave me that I was so hopeful about is not what I expected. In fact, I hate it. Sometimes you have expectations and hope, realistically, in our marriages, in our relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend. We thought this person was so amazing, and that was your promise. Like when I get there and I marry this person, and when I get into a relationship with this person, all my problems will start to disappear and things will be well. And you find out marriage is not like that at all. Not speaking just about my life, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking about just marriages in general. So often in our lives, we think God promised this, and when we get there, it's not what we expected. In fact, there's more discomfort, more difficulties, more hard decisions to make. And Abraham was the same. So without much endurance, right? Without much endurance, he started to take things in his own hands. And let's see what happens when Abraham took things into his own hands. Well, he makes three big, grave mistakes. And I hope that today we learn from his mistakes. One, the first mistake that Abraham uh, makes is that he has a lack of trust in God's promise. He's not a man who just got all of a sudden showed up and was just like, oh, God, you're amazing. He's been conversing and having a relationship with God for years, for all his life. God showed favor in his life. And yet, when he gets to the promised land, because it doesn't look like what he thought it would be, he has a lack of trust in God's promise, and therefore he uproots everybody and takes his deep to Egypt. Secondly, he has a lack of dependence in God's plan. He takes things in his own hands and comes up with the plan for himself and Sarah as he enters Egypt. And this is where the story gets become very interesting. Because it says in the Bible that Sarah was so beautiful, physically just so attractive, that Abraham started getting worried. That when he entered the land of Egypt, he was already prepared. I mean, Sarah must have been very, very beautiful. And Abraham must have seen this potentially happen or already happen in his life a few times. That he prepared Sarah. He's like, hey, when we get to Egypt, there may be people who are in powerful positions who may want to take you in as their wives. Because you're so beautiful. So here's what we're going to do. And he starts strategizing. And he comes up with his own plan. To, to, to a logical human being perhaps it's a great preparation move but we soon find out he took things by his own hand and this is not what God wanted so it just falls apart he tells Sarah if anybody approaches us just tell them that you're not my wife that you're my sister right so that we can stay in Egypt and not get into trouble just in case this happens guess what happens king of Egypt notices Sarah through the servants, and then eventually Sarah is called in to the palace. In front of the king, Sarah lies and does this deception move that him and Abraham have talked about, and long story short, it just backfires. Abraham is called before the king, he has to explain and, and speak the truth. And he almost gets killed, he almost gets imprisoned, he almost loses everything that God had given him, all his wealth. And through God's grace, he just gets kicked out from the land of Egypt, and he was able to still keep his family and his belongings. But that's the second problem of the mistake that Abraham makes. His lack of dependence in God's plan, so he comes up with his own and he thought it was a great one. But it wasn't. But what I want to focus much more today is this third mistake that Abraham made. Which is, there is a lack of worship in Abraham's life. Not all of his life. See, before he gets to Canaan, there's a lot of worship. There's a lot of worshipfulness. There's a worshipful heart and mind and soul within Abraham. So he... He gathers his family and he worships the Lord. He sacrifices and he praises God. He sings and he does all that we do in this corporate worship. As we read in Genesis 12, 8-10, this is a chapter before what we just read, right? Worship before entering into the promised land. Here's how it reads. Verse 8, chapter 12 of Genesis. From there, Abraham went on toward the hills east of Bethel and picked his tent. With Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Called on the name of the Lord. That means he himself and along with his family members built an altar and what? They worshipped. They gave all glory and honor to God. God, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for you becoming the king in my life and our lives and our family. But what's interesting is, as he decides to leave Canaan and take the detour to Egypt, for an entire chapter until the end of 13 that we just read, there is no worship. There is no building of altar. There is no conversing with the Lord. There is no knocking on God's doors to say, hey God, is this what you really want? Worship disappears out of his life as well as his entire family. Hence, what we find is that as he leaves Canaan, and he heads towards Egypt, and until the end of what we read in today's story, Genesis 13, right, he takes things his own matter, and the result is he almost loses his wife, almost gets killed, and almost loses everything he owns. He's humiliated, he gets kicked out, and he has to learn this lesson the hard way. And yet, God still is with Abraham. And even in his mistake, keeps he gets to keep all his wealth and he chugs along back to Canada. How does Abraham respond to his mistake? We all make mistakes. Right? I mean, we call ourselves Church for the Broken. The first thing that we say, what that theme means is that none of us are perfect. All make mistakes. But acknowledging that mistake, and acknowledging the imperfectness in our life, acknowledging the brokenness in our life is just not enough. Right? Hopefully you learn something from it, and you heal, you restore. And what we see in Abraham's life is, as he comes before God again, As he decides, Egypt is not the place for me. Clearly, I'm learning from my mistake. He comes back to worship God. And with this worshipful heart, his mind starts changing. He starts becoming wise again. He starts making decisions with God, for God, not by himself. And so what we see in Abraham's life is that he learns from his brokenness and his mistake. He comes back to God with the worshipful heart, ready to listen and speak to the Lord. And really, that's what worship is. We talked about worship for many, many weeks now. And this is just another way of looking at worship. Worship is giving all honor and glory to God. Another way we can think about worship is a, a time and place that we specifically place in our lives in order to converse with God. Worship is conversation, worship is invitation. Invitation that God already gave us, and we're saying yes, we respond. It's a party that God's saying, on this Sunday morning, you come to church at 10.30, and you worship me, and here's an invitation for you. And we're saying yes, I want to come, and I want to converse with you. I want to have a deep conversation. I want to heal. I want to restore. I want to speak to you. I want to listen to your voice. That is worship, and that's what Abraham finds once again after this long barrenness of Egypt. And as he realizes, oh man, I'm so stupid, and he returns back to Canaan, and once again, worshipful heart begins to burn within inside of him. And as he does, Abraham's perspective changes. You know, oftentimes um, in counseling sessions that I do with you guys here at our church and outside, we talk a lot about perspective. What's interesting is, when I see counselings and even myself in my life, when we have a worshipful heart, when we want to worship, even when things are not going right, even when I don't want to do, I don't want to do what God wants to do, even though I don't want to come worship, even though I don't want to have a relationship with God right now, I just want to put a pause on Him. When you come before God and you bow humbly and you say, God, I'm going to worship you because you deserve it. Whether I want or not. I see people's lives change. Why? Because perspective changes. Perspective meaning the length in which we see the world, the lens in which we see our lives change. You know, it's summer, so it's sunglass season. I see everybody, as soon as church and everybody's out, and then next thing they know, next thing I know, I see sunglasses popping out and it's, you know, going on and when you put a sunglass on, everything changes. Right? Everything changes. I know they got cool sunglasses now, and changes with the lights and stuff. But traditionally, when you put something on like that, the entire view darkens a little bit. In the same way, when our lens, our perspective, change and becomes worshipful, and we can say, "Yes, God, I want to converse with you. Speak to me. I will listen." Then, no matter what's happening around you. Your perspective in life changes. Therefore, you start making different decisions. You become wiser. You start to think a little bit more. Not on your own, but you think with God and for God. And therefore, what happens? Like Abraham, he makes decisions differently. becomes wiser. We see in Abraham in this chapter 13, as he learns from his mistakes, as his perspective changes, as his lens changes, he says, I'm going to come back to God with my worshipful heart. And I, as I worship the Lord, what happens? His decisions change in his life. He brings Lot next to him, his nephew, almost like his son. He says, Lot, I know this is not customary in Israel, because according to our custom and a culture... I decide as the head of the family where I go, and then you should go where I don't go, where I tell you to go. But because he comes with the worshipful heart, because he comes back to the Lord to have a conversation with God, he learns from his mistakes, and he comes humbly, even to his nephew, and says, what? Lot, you choose first. If you go east, I will go west. If you go west, I will go east. To us, that just sounds like, hey, he's just being a great father-like figure. I would do the same, but really, if this is against all the cultural norms of Israelites. This is not what you do. He should be saying, that land looks good. I will go east and therefore you go west. But instead, for the first time in his life, because of his lens and perspective changes, his decision changes. While well. he said a lot. You choose first. Now some people say, well, when Lot chooses to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, shouldn't he? Shouldn't Abraham say, "Don't go there; they're simple people"? Well, it's not like one; he knew exactly what was going to happen, you know. Um, but he was allowing Lot to make his own decision, and Abraham decided to listen to the Lord and trust in God. He says, "Even if Lot chooses the land." That is full of wealth, full of growth, where their children and their offspring and their servants will have all that they want materialistically, can live wealthy. And I have to go to land that's barren. I will go. See the heart. He comes back to trust God because his perspective changed. And as he makes that decision, What we see is Abraham coming back to the Lord with his life. There's a deliberate contrast between verse 10 and 14. If if you go back to the word here, let's look at verse 10 and 14 in chapter 13 here. What we see as Lot looked around, verse 10, it says, as Abraham said, if you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Lot responds by saying, he looked around and saw the word. He looked and saw vision. That the whole plain of the Jordan towards Joel was well water like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It looked wealthy. He's heard. Man, you go there, your children, you will be wealthy. You'll be fine. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan. And he saw wealth. He saw power. So he chose that. What we see is in contrast to that in verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, south, east. God says the same thing, same word, look, vision. It's the perspective of Lot and Abraham we see in contrast here. When your legs changes, brothers and sisters. When our lens changes because we come before God, because we worship God and we love God, and we want to have a conversation with God, because we want to make decisions in our lives, in our family lives, because we love God, as our perspective changes, the situation doesn't change, but our decisions change. See, Lot with his land saw the dust of the dust of the land in Canaan. And what do he see? He saw barrenness, he saw desert. He saw difficulty. He saw hardship. So he said, I'm going to go over here. That looks great. But Abraham looks at the dusty plains of Canaan. The, the land of famine. And now his perspective has changed. Dust no longer looks like dust. In fact, God tells him straight up. you See the dust in that plain? That shouldn't symbolize you becoming hungry and suffering. But dust becomes a symbolism for the offspring, the great wealth, the great nation in which Abraham's offspring will will become. So God promises him, right? He says, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. With worship, with worshipful heart, dust is understood to be potential blessing as an Abraham's life. But without worship, without worshipful heart, dust is merely understood just to be hardship. Brothers and sisters of New Mercy and those who are visiting. Um, I want to challenge us today as we think about worship. How worshipful are we in our families? How does your perspective and lens change as we corporately worship together? Because when we worship God and we converse with God, here, as we're sitting here, and as we give praise and honor. to. We're giving dependency God. We're trusting. You. We're saying, God, there's dusty things in my life, but help me change my perspective on my lens, and help me trust in you. And for those of you parents in here, do we make these kind of decisions in our lives? What do we want to show and teach our children that as you become smarter, as you, as you get better grades, as you get into better schools and get more secure jobs, you will live a fruitful life. We grew up with that. Our generation grew up with that. But that didn't secure or guarantee anything. In fact, more hurts, more brokenness came out of it because of our expectation that hopefulness was not in the Lord but in ourselves. And for many of us, That's how we were set up. That's the environment in which we grew up in our family. And we want to change this, as God promises us. The dust in your lives and your perspective changes because of this worshipful heart. I hope that our decisions and our thoughts, our prayers change in our families. Not just for ourselves, but also for the offsprings to come. So they may be able to seek us and say, Hey, I've seen my parents... I've seen my mother, I've seen my father make decisions differently. There's something about my parents that they make decisions differently. Small or big, they come before the Lord. And I truly believe, as we do so, all of us here, that our offsprings, our generations to come afterward, and including us, our lives will significantly change. That though at times we may experience famine in our lives, that as we trust in God, as we come before Him worshipful, as we consistently come to worship and corporately give God all honor and glory, as we converse with God, asking, seeking, calling him the struggles in our lives, the famines in our lives, that we can trust what God had envisioned in Abraham's life. And what happens in his families and generations to come. I hope that happens to us as well. Let us take this time to pray. I'll invite the praise team up. And I want us to pray about a few things this morning. As we think about the experience of Abraham and his response. After the Lord said to Abraham, look around where you are, your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. As God, again, again graciously, gives His promise to Abraham. We end with this verse 18 in chapter 13. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent And there he built an altar to the Lord. He worshipped God again. We make mistakes as parents. We make mistakes as fathers and mothers. We make mistakes as husbands and wives. We make mistakes with our friends. Though they are so important and crucial in our lives, it's so difficult sometimes to follow after God's heart. Change your perspective. And make wise decisions that God wants us to make in our lives. Let us build our altar to the Lord. May we spend this morning just in prayer. Worshiping God. Is there famine in your life? Is there something that's bothering you? Is there something that's not going well? Can we spend this time to bring it forth before God? Trust in Him as Abraham. Let us pray.